Last week, we asked ourselves what our lives testify to people around us. Does the way that we live our lives, does that testify to the fact that we know God is with us? And we looked at this phrase, Coram Deo. And we took note of the fact that whether we know it or not, every moment of our lives is lived before the face of God. Every, every moment of our lives is lived in full view of God. And we said that should make a difference in the way that we live. This morning, we're going to take a, a quick detour from our study in Genesis to take a closer look at what a life looks like that's lived Coram Deo. Is the way that, what, what is the way that life is lived rightly before the face of God? Let me show you the way this morning. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 14. We're going to be looking at uh, 13, 14, kind of all over the place, but you can kind of zero in there. Joshua. <laughs> we're going to do this. Let me give you the background before we get into Joshua chapter 14. After being miraculously delivered from slavery in Egypt, and then wandering in the wilderness for 40-some years, the people of Israel, they begin clearing out the land as God had commanded them to do. Seven years of conquest pass. And God tells Joshua now to begin dividing up the land and these divisions, those who are in charge of these different divisions, they're going to finish the task of clearing out the land. And God says to Joshua in Joshua 13, you are old and advanced in years. Someday that's going to be said about me, hopefully not today. <laughs> and there remains yet very much land to possess. Skip to verse 7. He says, Now therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The reality was that there was already a great deal of the land that had been cleared. 31 kings had been dethroned, but there was still more to do. But Joshua was getting too old to do it. And so God said, okay, divide up the land and I'll drive out the inhabitants that are left as the people moved in. And as always, Joshua obeys. And we see in the verses that follow, Joshua begins dividing up the land as God commanded. If you look at Joshua 14, verse 6, it says this, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. 
because you've wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, Ken- the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. So as Joshua was divvying up the land, this 85-year-old man named Caleb steps forward and says, It's time. Give me the land that you promised me. Remember the word that that Moses uh, said concerning me? The land which I have walked, that's going to be given to me as an inheritance. And right away we see that this is a very interesting man. You know, most people at 85, they're thinking about what they can give away and who they're going to give it to. But not Caleb. He says, hey, I'm ready for that property that was promised me. I'm still strong. Look at me. I'm still able to handle myself. I've still got things I want to accomplish. And notice there's no pushback from Joshua. Joshua doesn't say, uh, Caleb, c- come, come here, buddy. 85. Do you know what God just said about me? You're too old. Divide up the land. They'll, they'll take care of the job. Okay, okay, Caleb, uh, let's, uh, let's get you a health exam. Let's see how you're doing here. If you get a clean bill of health, then maybe we'll pray about it. We'll consider it. No, we don't see any of that here. There's no hesitation. There's no attempt to verify Caleb's claim to go back in the record book and say, well, did Moses actually said that? Let's see what was in the details there. No, 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 no. He just blesses him and gives him the land. Why? What's the reason here that Caleb is honored in this way? This is key. Verse 14. He wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. That's an important phrase, and that's the phrase we want to hold on to this morning and wrestle with this morning. He wholly followed the Lord. It's the defining statement of Caleb's life. It's the thing he's remembered by the most. It set him apart from all the others. It's mentioned here in in Joshua 14, it's mentioned three times. It's mentioned once in Numbers 32.12. God himself explicitly says that about Caleb in Deuteronomy 1.36. You know, the, the value of public recognition, it's dependent upon the one who's doing the recognizing. It's one thing for mom to, to come alongside and say, oh, you know, hey, take a look at my boy. He did such a good job. Or my, my little girl, she did such a good, good job. That's one thing. 
It's another thing to have your boss call you out in front of others and recognize you. It's another thing for the CEO of the company to call you out or the president of the United States. No, no, no. This is God here doing the recognizing. This is incredible. Caleb is recognized by God himself, and there's nothing like it. It's, it's the well-done, good and faithful servant that every Christian should be longing to hear, to have the creator of the universe, the only one in all of history, in all of space, whose opinion matters to say, he wholly followed me. That's the highest honor in all existence it's the, it's the heavenly equivalent of the Medal of Honor or the Victoria Cross or, or knighthood, only of infinitely greater value because of the one who is giving it. And it belongs to a man named Caleb. <laughs> I'd love that to be said about me, wouldn't you? Well, what was it about Caleb that made him so deserving of this honor? What does it look like to wholly follow the Lord? This is the way. It begins with unshakable trust in God. In verse 6, Caleb reminds Joshua of where this all began. He was 40 years old when God had singled him out. The details of this are in Numbers chapter 13. Here's what, ha here's what happened. On the edge of the promised land, God tells Moses to send spies out into the land. If you've been to Sunday school, you know all about this story. Those chosen were of the 12 heads of the tribes of, of Israel. Among them were Hosea, the son of Nun, of the tribe of Ephraim. Moses called him Joshua. And Caleb was also called the son of Jephunneh of the tribe of Judah. So you have Joshua, you have Caleb, and you have these 10 other guys. They went out for 40 days and they traveled all of the land. They checked things out. They collected samples of the fruit that was there and they brought them back at the end of that time. And they report to Moses and here's what they said. Numbers 13, 27, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Can you imagine being there? Imagine what that was like. Hearing the news. Seeing with your own eyes the fruit of the land. Touching it. Tasting it. For years they had been waiting for this moment when they'd entered the land that God had promised. And now, being on the edge of entering that land and hearing that it's every bit as incredible as God said it would be. I don't know if I'd be able to contain myself. But in the middle of that excitement, a bomb is dropped. They continue on in reporting and they say this. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. This land is an amazing place. We can never go there. It's far too dangerous. And that threw everyone immediately into a panic. What? How could this be? God led us all this way only to be slaughtered in the land that he promised? And that's when Caleb 
steps up and says, I have something to say. Wait just a minute. And he says this in verse 30. Let's go up at once and occupy it. For we're able to overcome it. He says, what are you waiting for? You've seen for yourselves the land is good. Let's go and let's take it because our God is with us. And Joshua was in agreement, but it seems like he was silent at this point. We don't hear what he said. Right away, the 10 others, they fire right back at him and they say, no way. We can't go fight these people. Not only are they stronger than we are, they are giants. Compared to them, we're like grasshoppers. We don't stand a chance. That was bad news. You know what it's like to receive bad news, don't you? You hear that you or someone you love has cancer. Maybe you heard at a young age your parents are getting a divorce. The money has run out. Or a child announces some big changes that they've decided on in regard to their identity. Or a husband or wife has been unfaithful. Or something very painful has happened to a dear friend. Or there's been another senseless mass shooting. We read that the bad report, it threw the people into utter despair. They wept all night and they begin to talk about returning to Egypt you know we were far better off back there let's find someone to take us back and right then Caleb says you know what I'll do it I'll take you back let's go grab your coats grab your goats follow me not exactly right He said to the whole congregation in verse 7, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. He says, the land is good. Don't be afraid of these people. It's them that needs to be afraid because God is with us. See, Caleb had unshakable trust in God. And notice here, he never denies the existence of the giants. No, not at all. They're there, they're real, that's okay. No, his confidence in, is, is not dependent on the size of the obstacle that is out there. The only thing that mattered to him was the power of his God. Amen. And how often do we find ourselves confronted with obstacles of enormous proportions and we cower under their threat because our focus is in the wrong place? And as we do, we forget that the God we serve is, is almighty. He rules over all things. Nothing comes into being that he does not allow. Nothing remains in existence that he does not sustain by his mighty power. And it's this same God that is broken into time and space to save us. When our oldest daughter was three, we had the hardest time getting this girl to fall asleep. 
And she wouldn't do it unless one of us sat in the room. And so we had this big kind of worn out Ikea chair there in the room and I would, we'd sit there and we would wait. It was the most boring thing I have ever done in my life. Because he had to turn the lights down. I couldn't read. I don't think I had an iPad at the time. I was just like, oh, I'm waiting. Is she down yet? And what made things worse was that that was only the beginning. If you finally got her to sleep, you'd just be waiting through the night to when she would wake up and when you'd have to do the whole thing over again. And when that happened two or three times a night, it was, it was just, well, it was, it was a problem. You're <laughs> trying to figure out how to make this work. And, and, and me being the, the great leader that I am said, well, we finally got, we, gotta, we gotta just got to tell her we can't, we can't do this anymore. You can imagine how that went. And she said something to me that changed my perspective on what was actually going on inside of her. She, I said, you have, to, you have to go to sleep. No, I'm not going to stay in here. And she said, then who's going to protect me? And yet at the same time that my heart was breaking, a light went off in my head. It wasn't, it wasn't that she just wanted to be with dad all the time. She couldn't stand the thought of me leaving. That wasn't what it was. It was that she was afraid that if mom or dad wasn't there, that something else was going to get her. And so that night we read the story of David and Goliath. And I just, made, I, I just made a simple point to tell her that the same God that protected David and the Israelites from the giant, that's the same God who watches over you as you sleep. And it changed everything. Changed everything. You know, that kind of reminder, that's not just for three-year-olds. It's the reminder that you and I need each and every moment of our lives. Whatever giants that you and I may face, when they show up in our lives, they tempt us to give way to fear and run. We've got to remember that that same God, the God that shrunk the giants in the mind of, in the mind of Caleb and David, is the same God that is with us every moment. This is the way. And you know, we have an advantage that Caleb and Joshua and David, an advantage that they didn't have. You see, we're on the other side. We look back at the victory our God has had over the biggest giant, the nastiest, the most terrifying giant of all time. It's the giant that we created it's the giant that stood between us and him. It's the giant that, that would certainly have killed us. The giant that we could have never mustered enough strength to defeat. By Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, God has slant, slain the giant of giants, our sin. And if you've placed your trust in Jesus, you stand or sit victorious victorious in Christ. Paul says this in Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God made the ultimate sacrifice for us in Jesus Christ, then we better believe that he's going to care for us in our present struggles. Paul goes on, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was Caleb's unshakable trust in God that allowed him to wholly follow the Lord. Had it not been for that great confidence, well, he would have been right there with the rest of them saying, I'll lead us back. I'll take you. Follow me. See if you can keep up because I'm going to be running. But unlike the foolish man who built his house on the shifting sand, Caleb built his house on a rock. He built his house on the God that Psalm 89.5 describes. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can, can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome abo above all who are around him? O Lord, God of hosts, who is Mighty as you are, O oh Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Are there waves rising in your life? You know, Caleb not only needed confidence in God for the giants out there, he needed confidence in God for the enemies in the room. Because as soon as he finished talking, the people erupted into an angry mob and they picked up stones to attack Caleb and Joshua. Fear can do crazy things to people. Fear of being on the wrong side of history. Pressure to join in with the moral revolution. It's so intense. We're tempted to to bend, to give in, to reconsider, to redact, to reinterpret, to revise and repent of those long-held biblical convictions. Fear can make you do things you never thought you would. Fear can divide families. It can turn husbands against wives and parents against their children and, and, and brothers against sisters, even church members against one another. Fear can cripple and close the doors of churches. The pressure is real. The danger is real. The threats are real. But like Caleb's God, our God is real. Martin Luther once said this, one with God is a majority. It didn't matter how big they were who were rising against him. It didn't matter how many there were. It didn't matter what the odds were. As long as Caleb had God with him, he could stand tall. Verse 10 tells us that. Numbers 14, 10. All the congregation 
said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared. The glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And so with the moment of greatest intensity, when it looked like everything was lost, that evil was going to triumph, that God's plan to bring his people into the promised land had failed, the blinding glory of the holy almighty God bursts into the tent and the tables turn. God says this in verse 11, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? I will strike them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And you did not want to be one of the guys holding rocks at that moment. God wasn't going to let such a blatant act of disbelief and rebellion go unaddressed. So the ten faithless spies were told they would go on to die of plague. None of the adults who were there would live to enter the promised land. Instead, they'd wander for 40 years. One year for every day the spies sent, spent in the land. It was a harsh punishment. Why would it be so harsh? Here's why. It says it right here. The punishment is so harsh because these people had been witness firsthand to God's power and provision. God says in Numbers 14, 22, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test these 10 years shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. You see, they had seen wonders. They beheld time after time how God had done incredible things, how he had provided for them food from the sky, water from rocks. God had done amazing things. They of all people should have known our God can be trusted and he's going to take us in and he is going to care for us while we're there. See, God expects his acts of deliverance to result in the delivered's confidence and reliance on him. Have you witnessed the wonders of God? Have you seen his faithfulness in your life, his deliverance, his provision? If you're here this morning and you're going to take from the table below, the answer is absolutely yes. Because you've seen him, you have participated in, you have, you are, you have experienced his attack and victory on the greatest giant of all time. Your sin. But even apart from that, God's hand is all over the place. Since I've been here at Bethany, I've seen time and time and time again Often in terms of financial crisis, we have needs. We have very specific needs. We need this amount here. We need this amount here. We need this amount here. And I hear of checks being written before the need was even addressed, even made known, before the people writing them knew anything of precise amounts. My friends, God provides. 
He works, he delivers, he cares for his people, absolutely does. But the question is, do the things that we have witnessed, do they have any impact on our trust in God? Caleb had unshakable trust in God, but it wasn't that Caleb was so great, it was that his God was so great. And because of that, only he and Joshua would enter the promised land. Caleb was promised this special inheritance. You're going to inherit the special portion of land where you set your foot. That's what you're going to get. But you know what? Not right away. Not right away. They would spend the next 40 years of their lives waiting. And here we see another element of Caleb's ability to wholly follow the Lord. Caleb remained faithful to the Lord as he endured the journey through the wilderness. He remained faithful. He was there, he was 40 years old when he spied out the land. He would spend the next 40 years waiting for God to come through on his promise. Caleb was a man of faithful endurance. Just imagine how hard that must have been. Imagine the guy who had stood up to everyone else, who had trusted God, who had done nothing wrong himself. Imagine how hard it would have been for him to wander around when, well, these unfaithful were being punished. You'd think he would have just said, you know, forget this. I'm done here. I'm through with these people. I'm not going to waste my time, waste my life hanging around these people while God punishes them. And no one would have blamed him if those 40 years, if every day he spent those years picketing, holding up the signs, protesting, telling everyone, you wanders, you got what you deserve. No one would blame him for that. We don't see that. Instead, in Joshua 14, we see a man who remained faithful to God as he endured 40 years of waiting. He lived each and every day in light of God's promise for tomorrow. How are we at enduring? It's not easy, right? It is not easy. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. We don't like waiting. And that's one of the reasons I, I've never run a marathon. It's also one of the reasons that I have never watched the extended versions of those Lord of the Rings movies. I just can't, I can't do it. I can't endure that. And yet endurance is a quality that God values. And it's a quality that God desires to see in his people. It involves patiently holding up under unpleasant, difficult, painful circumstances without giving way. It's like that lighthouse that stands off the coast of France. You've all seen this picture. Wave after wave crashes against this thing. It's not going anywhere. It endures. It's what Paul did as he was in chains for preaching the good news about Jesus. He said in 2 Timothy 2.10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I endure, yes, no way, of course. It's what God does is he waits for more and more rebellious people to turn to him that they might be saved. It's what Caleb did for 40 years. It's what you and I must do if we're to be wholly devoted, wholly follow the Lord as Caleb did. Faithful endurance. This is the way. What is it that God has allowed in your life that you might have the opportunity to become a person of faithful endurance? Whatever the struggle may be, we can be sure that our faithful endurance, it's, it's not something that God ignores. 
And thankfully, it's not something that he expects us to do on our own power. Caleb told Joshua in verse 10, he said, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 40 years. See, he knew who deserved the credit for his survival. As he trusted in God and relied on his strength, the Lord brought him through. And the same is true for you and I also. And there's reward for it. We're told in 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. That's part of Caleb's story. A man who wholly followed the Lord. Unshakable trust in God. Faithful endurance. Finally, tireless resolve. Caleb was a man who never stopped climbing, never stopped running. At 85, still unwilling to throw in the towel. Uh, John Piper, a, a former pastor at a church back in Minnesota, right, wrote a really interesting article right before uh, the, the last presidential election. And he said some, some, some profound things here. He, he said, regardless of your political views, and he knew that they were varied even in his own congregation, Whatever you think of the current presidential candidates, and there are a lot of opinions out there about these people, he said there's one positive thing that we can learn from their example. And he wrote this, Hillary turned 69, Bernie turned 75, and Donald turned 70. And all of them want to spend their 70s doing the hardest job in the world. Well, most people in their 70s are either uh, retired or about to retire. These people are pushing to do more. The time for wandering was over. The land was being divided up. And Caleb is here saying, I'm still strong. I'm still able to fight and get around. And I don't know how true those words actually were. I don't know if some other people went, really, Caleb? Well, um, all right, hold on to that, that walker, buddy. I don't know that he says, give me the hill that God promised me. I'll drive out the people there no matter how big they are, no matter how tall their walls are, their cities, doesn't matter. It didn't matter because God was with him. He never retired from desiring and striving to accomplish what God had laid out for him. Even at age 85, never wavered in his resolve to take that hill. And the sad truth of the matter is that there's a trend among older Christians to feel like that when they retire from work or parenting or whatever it is they, they retire in life, they can also retire from the ministry in the kingdom of God. And I'm not talking about occupational ministry here. I'm talking about actively pursuing and working out their purpose that God has put them here on earth for. Never forget a conversation that I had with a, uh, a congregant at a church that Corey and I actually served at together. And I was encouraging him to help out. We really needed volunteers in some different areas. And just, just encouraging, hey, you've thought about this, you've thought about that. And he said, son, son, I put in my time. It's time for the young ones to take a turn. And I think that's one of the saddest statements that a follower of Christ can breathe because it means that they believe they've come to the they believe they've come to the end of their usefulness and are no longer 
having any part in the building of the kingdom of God. But here's something I think that is very important for us to remember. As long as God continues to give us breath, He has a purpose for our lives. And maybe we don't have the energy to keep up with those preschoolers. Maybe we don't have the strength to handle those junior hires. But that doesn't mean that our usefulness in God's kingdom has gone. Paul said this, 2 Timothy 4, 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time for my departure is come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. This, guy, this, is, this is a guy saying, I am done. It's over. I know what the next uh, bend in my journey is. I know where I'm going. I'm right there. And yet, even as he's penning these words, you know what he's doing? He's writing a letter to spur on a young pastor in the faith and ministry to God's people. He's still working. Can you hold a pen? Paul said, as long as I can hold this pen, I'm going to write to Timothy. I'm going to encourage that guy because he's got work to do and I've got a purpose here to encourage him. He knew that he was close to the end. He still climbed. He still ran. Why? Because you don't stop running until you cross the finish line. To wholly follow the Lord is to have tireless resolve. It's to never stop pursuing the purpose of God has given you until you're done. That's the way of Caleb. 85 and still going for it. Still longing to be used by God. I want to be like that. I want to be remembered as a man who wholly followed the Lord. I pray all of us do. Have you been tempted to give up? Have you thought about turning around and heading back? Do the obstacles in your life, do they look like giants? Remember Caleb, remember his God, a man who was given the ultimate honor to be called one who wholly followed the Lord. This is the way of those who live their lives before the face of God. It's the way of those who know that they're not alone. It's the way of those who know that their God is with them. Let's live our lives the way Caleb did, <laughs> with unshakable trust in God, with faithful endurance, with tireless resolve.